The Toby Gribbon Show. Highlights. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Johnny Ball is a television presenter and popularizer of mathematics who has written 20 TV factual information series and written and produced seven theatre productions. Now, on Tuesday the 7th of February at the Leicester Square Theatre, Johnny and daughter Zoe Ball will be presenting Johnny Ball, My Previous Life in Comedy. And Johnny Ball is on the line with us here from South Buckinghamshire. Good afternoon, Johnny. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. How are you? I'm all fine i'm very very well considering my age and all that you know i've been around yes. a long time but i'm fine yeah <laughs> yeah well at your age you're still full of energy and still doing all these shows aren't you that's right yeah i've got a show called wonders beyond numbers based on my book called wonders beyond numbers oh hang on hang on hang on and there it is uh-huh. blah, 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 you see and that's a 500 page book but that's on maths but I I wanted it to be the most readable history of maths ever written. And yes. so that's what I've done. It's, it sells very well. Now, a lot of people will know you best for trying to popularise maths, but you began your entertainment career working as a red coat at Butlins and also an entertainer in the Northern Comedy Clubs. Yeah. Do you think that was a good way to start? It was a tremendous way to start. When By, when I was, by the time I was 11, I decided I wanted to be a comedian when I, was, I grew up. And I'd... I'd been to Blackpool. My parents took me to Blackpool on holiday, and I've seen uh, George Formby, and I've seen uh, Frank Randall, and all kinds of people like that. And and I had my dad had LPs of of uh, all kinds of performers, and so I thought, no, wouldn't it be lovely to spend my life making people happy and making them laugh? So that's how it started. Was there much money in comedy in those days? When I started uh, the first clubs, I, I think I was £2.10 or £3 a night, you know. Mm. Um, but soon I was on about £40 a week. And and then it got better and better. The, the first year I was a pro, which was 1964, I only had seven or eight nights off in the year. I worked, I did over 100 miles a day in my minivan, in my little <laughs> minivan, and <laughs> ran into the ground. And, um, and a couple of years later, I, I, I was earning so much money that I once bought a Rover 2000, which they used to call uh, the working man's Rolls Royce. And I went into a shop in Portsmouth. I said, can I have that car? And they said, it's £1,400. I said, well, hang on, I've got that in my wallet. And I, <laughs> I paid for a brand new car um, out of my wallet in those days. So I always said, uh, well, but it wasn't the money. It was just the joy of working with people and making people laugh. 
Yeah. So I, I love that. And how did you go from that to working on children's television? Because children's television can be funny, but it's maybe not a natural progression. Well, as I went along, I looked at other comedians and I looked at things and I, I, I didn't, for instance, I turned down Opportunity Knocks, which uh, Les Dawson did, and it got Les away. Freddie Davis, a friend of mine, uh, Pilot Face, he did Op Knocks, got him away. He, they were away. Suddenly they were doing theatres and they were doing television. But what I did when I was in clubs, I pleased the audience. So if the audience wanted it slightly risque or blue, I'd, I would give it to them like that and because and have a night out with them, doing it, have a, a night the way they wanted it. And, and I liked that. And I've changed my act time and time again. So sometimes I work spotlessly clean because the audience wanted that way. I didn't like doing theatre because in theatre you do about 12 minutes, 15 minutes. In cabaret, I was doing th 25, 35, even an hour sometimes, and I loved it. <clears throat> and then I thought, but I don't want to do this on television. It's not the thing I want to do. So I was in this quandary. And, uh, but that was a while. But all the time I was earning well and I was working with all kinds of people. Harry Seacombe was my agent for a while as I was struggling to find a new way. And uh, and, and it worked very well. Uh, I had a great time. Great time. I suppose you were going from a real life audience in person of mainly adults to talking down a lens where your audience is mainly children. How did you manage to adapt to that change? What happened? I was doing radio broadcasts with, with people like Les Dawson and Mike Yarwood and, and Freddie Davis. We were all young and coming up-and-coming comedians. And I did radios out of Manchester, a lot of them. Um, and, and suddenly, he, the, the producer got a query, anybody interested in doing children's television for the BBC? So we thought, because he's ringing an agent or a, a, a producer who handles comedians, it had to be Crackerjack! <laughs> so immediately, I applied. Got this interview, went in, in five minutes, I got this job. I knew I'd got this job in five minutes. I was buzzing, and, and he said, oh, you're going to be wonderful in play school. I said, what's play school? He said, it's <laughs> under fives at 11 o'clock in the morning on BBC Two. Well, nobody had BBC Two. It was only the second year of BBC Two, third year. And uh, so I'd never seen BBC Two. And, and I said, no, no, I was up for the door. And he urged me to come back, asked me to do an audition. I did an audition, got the audition. You always, this is the thing in, in show business, you always get the jobs you don't want. <laughs> it's always easy to get the jobs you don't want. And I got this one, and I thought, well, I'll try it. After three weeks, I decided the integrity of the people who produced it was so lovely that it was a total change from cabaret, and I wanted to say. The other thing was, I was at the BBC Television Centre, and I was learning about television, and I hadn't been able to get in as a comedian and didn't even want to get in with the cabaret act I was doing as a comedian. So I started writing sketches and it all started from there and it all changed. Yeah. How did it feel to work at Television Centre? Because back in those days, just about every TV show from the news to Doctor Who was happening there. It was a massive juggernaut. It was the biggest television centre in the world. There was yeah. nothing bigger in Hollywood. There were film studios with bigger areas, <clears throat> but there were eight major studios and two or three news studios all in one place. And it was just fabulous. And you rubbed shoulders with everybody. Uh, the, the two Ronnies would be in the next studio to us, Morecambe and Wise. Eric Morecambe and Eddie Braben, his writer, would walk around the play school set in their breaks. And we'd yeah. have a chat and everything. And... Uh, 
and and finish up in the bar later and it was just it was just wonderful the whole thing and i started to observe for instance i went to a seminar one day and it was about special effects now they were all directors and i was told you can't go in because you're not a director of the bbc but i crept in with a mate of mine and they showed how to do triple passes how to do slash screens where you walk through a, a solid door um how to have one person standing on another person, standing on another person, but it's the same person. <laughs> Within a year, working, doing my programs, think of a number, I'd used every trick. <laughs> I was the only person at the BBC who used every single trick, all within 18 months of seeing that uh, seminar. <laughs> so that's what it was all about. So, and, and it was my background in comedy. It was always, I was always looking for the funny angle. I'm not doing, being very funny today. I haven't said anything <laughs> funny to you. But it, but it's, it was, it was the fun angle. It always was funny. So every yeah. program I did started with some kind of spoof. I'd be a mud, mad professor or a nutty idiot, you know, or something like that. And uh, and there was always gags, and there was always little sketch gags later on. And I'd mix it so that the 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 feel for the program was up and down, serious here, and then a bit of fun, then more serious, and slowly turn the screw on seriousness. And that's that's what I did. And I felt. My structure was better than, say, Tomorrow's World, because Tomorrow's World was a magazine program where you get a very good item and then something boring as hell, absolutely <laughs> boring. And then something else that was all, well, the government have said, and it's that kind of thing. Yeah. And, and it, it ceases to be entertainment. Then it is entertainment. You never knew where you were. So eventually, Tomorrow's World collapsed. They asked me to do it three times, wow. and three times I said no, unless I could write my own material. And they said, no, you'll have a writer. I said, I've just written then 16 series of programs. Why would I need a writer? Oh, but you're a good, very good performer. I said, could it be my scripts are good? <laughs> <laughs> could it be my scripts are good? You know, so I never, I never got on with them, and adult television wouldn't let me in, and I, it, it didn't matter. I ploughed my own furrow, and it was great fun. I was going to ask, because did you ever worry about being typecast as some kind of children's entertainer rather than a comedian or a broadcaster in general? Well, I was still doing clubs and sometimes quite rough clubs. And the fellas would come up to me with a pint, still doing that play school, John. And I go, yeah, he's still watching it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> and if they heckled me about get back to play school, I say, another word from you and you're going through the square window. All right. And I got away with it. I, I, I didn't mind the, the, the jibes there. And it was totally different. And you've got to accept, even the producers, you see, love me doing cabaret as well, and they, because they love people doing different things, not being just in one furrow. So it was lovely. I enjoyed it tremendously. So what was it that actually led you to specialise in maths programmes? Well, when I was at school, I was great at maths until I was 11, and I was very good in Bristol, but we moved to Bolton. Now, this was in 1949 when we moved to Bolton, before television. Television really got going about 1953, and not till the 60s and 70s did it really get going. And so in those days before television, if you had a Bristol accent in Bolton, it was like speaking Urdu. <laughs> it was just like a foreign language. And the teachers didn't understand me, but I'd been top in Bristol, and I was top at the beginning in my school in Bolton. You know, got the maths prize, chess prize in the first year, and then I went for 2B, 3C, 4D, lower 5E, and the last year 5E because they didn't have a 5F. <laughs> two O levels. But when they checked, they realised I'd got 100% in maths and I hadn't taken a note for two years. 
I'd done it myself. I studied it myself. And I love maths. So all this time later, I'm now trying to get into television. I'm writing sketches and things. I wrote three situation comedies. They all failed, and they all failed because of political reasons. There were three lovely girls called the Carlins in Scotland. They were fabulous. Triplets, identical triplets. And I wrote a series for them. And BBC Scotland said, if their LP does well, we're doing this series, no question. Their LP hardly saw the light of day, sadly, and it never happened. They were lovely girls, but they went back to Scotland. And I still hope they're singing, you know, but uh, yeah. yeah, they've been getting on a bit now. However, <laughs> um, uh, that was it. Then I wrote a thing, a, a sitcom on Dockers called No Holds Barred. Thames Television loved it. Everybody wanted to do it. And then an executive said, you do know that 10 years ago we tried to do Dockers like we did on the buses. And the dock unions said, you ever do that with Dockers and we'll close the London docks. So they wouldn't do it. Nobody would touch it with a barge pole. And that's why I finished up writing Think of a Number and things like that, because suddenly I had a, a neighbour. And his na- this neighbour had two sons and they were pee in school. And they were getting fed up with maths. They were about 12 and 14, 15. So I said, I'll show them some of the maths I know, because maths had been my hobby since leaving school, and I'd bought lots and lots of books. So I showed them the maths that I was interested in. They not only went on to do well in maths, but one of them became Wrangler. Now, Wrangler is the top mathematician at Cambridge University. And this was a lad, um, David, who had wanted to drop out of maths at 14 and 15, and I turned him around, and he became Wrangler at the Cambridge. And it was his dad who said, you shouldn't be doing comedy. I mean, have your comedy, but you should be doing math and science. So that's what I started to do. I started to write, I wrote Think of a Number. <laughs> um, and so she suggested I do a show on, on maths, and they didn't know what I was talking about. So nobody could regulate me. <clears throat> So by the time we'd done the first, I did the, I did the pilot, and there's about 12 people watching the pilot. The, the crew, the people who check the lighting and know where the camera's going to be and all that, they were there, and that's all. And I did this 25-minute program with no script, just like I did a stand-up act. And they stood and applauded and applauded and applauded. And we knew we got a chance. So we did the first series, won BAFTA. My agent said, you won BAFTA. And I said... What's a BAFTA? <laughs> but I didn't know. And we won BAFTA. And then we did Think Again. And then we were winning awards all over the world. And I went to New York for the International Emmys. And the International Emmys was a big deal, you know. And we went there. This huge hall with, I don't know, 1,000 people, perhaps 1,500. But we were up against another program. And they'd hall hired the very same room in the skyscraper, one floor above to celebrate them winning the category I was in. And they their budget was 20 times, more than 20 times our budget, and they won it. And it's called Fraggle Rock, and it was it was the, the people who produced um, the Muppets. Yes. They even asked me if I joined them, but they said it from Canada, and they wanted me to go <laughs> to Canada. I said, no, I'm too busy in England, so I didn't go. <laughs> but the Jim Henson group sort of hinted that I, they could find me a job. They'd have to happily have me on board, and I didn't go that way. Pity, really. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Do you think that your sort of mixture and comedy and the kind of visual gag you mentioned earlier made the audience more likely to actually listen to what you've got to say and learn yeah, from yeah. the maths? Yeah, you do all kinds of things. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what I did in the show. I did a, a, a show in, in, in 2000, in the year 2000, for the, for, the, for the British government. It was Tony Blair was prime minister and he was on stage with Blunkett, who was the education minister, when we launched this show. And my show, it was International Maths Year 2000, and my show was the, the core of all the, the British maths effort, and it was called um, um, <laughs> Tales of Maths and Legend, right? Oh. And they were on stage for, for the beginning. And it was it, the show went well. We, we played to about 160,000 kids. We, we, we came to... Playhouse Edinburgh, and which one in Glasgow? Was that the big one in Glasgow? Oh, I think there's a few, isn't there? I know. Well, we, we did those. We went to Aberdeen. We went up there. We went everywhere. We we did. We reached over 160,000 kids, but we were only doing Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays, two shows a day, averaging 3,500 kids a day in big theatres, and we couldn't do five days because the schools won't come out on Mondays and they won't come out on Wednesdays. Monday mornings, they won't come out. Wednesday afternoons, they won't come out. So we only do Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And we were shattered anyway. So let me tell you the story. It's a lovely story. So I'd written the show, and it was too long. So I had to cut something. So I cut the interval. I cut the interval by five minutes. So we'd have up to 2,000 kids, and they had 20 minutes to get out, have a wee, and get an ice cream and get back in their seats. And I cut it to 15 minutes. They couldn't possibly do it. So we came on the second half, and they were looking a bit, looking a bit disgruntled. And we did this song. You've got to get your pencil out, write it down. That's the best way we have found. Always use a pencil, never use a pen. So if you get it on, you can wrap it out again. <laughs> and then we did the last verse for these kids. Now, the kids were 9 to 14, right? So in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had trouble multiplying. Oh, would you believe? They could count up to 20 on fingers and toes, which is one that you're not having any clothes. You've got to get your pencil out, write it down. That's the best way we have found. He said, counting on your body really is such fun. Adam said, oh, why do I keep getting 21? As he came round, the kids are going, it's Willie, it's Willie. And we got that audience. <laughs> we had them. They listened totally. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. He was waiting for the next mucky joke, and there wasn't one. There wasn't yeah. one. And that was, it was just a joy to do that. And, 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 and we had the kids... Absolutely loving it. We did we did one called Energy Champions, and that I've had people come up to me and say, "You changed my life," and I saw Energy Champions, yeah. and uh, we produced that. And the ending was, "We want you to be Energy Champions. We hope that you be Energy Champions." The eighteen twelve overture, right? So yeah. Energy, and we had these big hydrogen balloons. Now, if you've ever popped a helium balloon, you heard nothing. <laughs> a hydrogen balloon, when you pop it. When you put a taper to it, you put a sparkler on a pole and you put that to it. So we must save energy, conserve our energy, save it, please don't waste it. Boom! <laughs> we must save energy, yes, I don't to see. Must say, boom! And up the, the, the balloons are going, and the noise is deafening. Uh, and the whole thing, that's how the whole thing finished, and it was just tremendous. But we used to have to carry a hydrogen flask around with us. Wow. And we were breaking all kinds of regulations. <laughs> <laughs> it had to be in an open type truck, back truck. It wasn't in an open back truck. It was in our Luton van. We never had problem with it. And I, and uh, now we're promote. People are promoting hydrogen as the new, the new fuel and the new way of easing uh, the the way we ha- harm the planet. There's a lot going for it. And I'm doing some talks on it uh, in a few months' time because um, I'm still occasionally involved in science today. But it's the comedy, and it was putting the comedy into it all. There was. So How do you still remember all the songs? Oh, well, I wrote them. I wrote them all. You know, uh, oh, umpteen songs, you know. The opening to to uh, uh, Let the Force Be With You is Isaac Newton running down the aisle, full theatre, <laughs> and he said, have you seen it? Have you seen it? Quick, I'm late. Have you seen it? And, and on the stage, there's an apple with a spotlight on it, and it's about seven foot high. And he said, there it is, he said. And he rushes across the stage, and as he gets under it, the apple goes... And bam, bam, falls on his head. And he sang, an apple fell upon my head. In the piano, I would have been dead. <laughs> and I've got a gag in at the very opening. But it's almost too, so I have to delay it so that everybody could think about the gag. Had it been a piano, I would have been dead. As the apple fell down, that woke me up. Why did it come down? Why didn't he go up? The answer is simple. The force of gravity. And no one knew until it was discovered by me. And that, there we are. We're off into the musical. And it was great. And Marie Curie comes on and she says, what about the women in science from off stage? And, and already James Watts, I've got James Watts on. My name's James Watts and I was the lad. I worked in Glasgow, which wasn't it bad? To, to, to work with cogs and gears and springs and cogs and wheels inside machines to give the world a driving force. That was my early dream. And I achieved it when I made my engine power by steam. Let the force 
be with you. And there we are. And then on comes <laughs> Marie Curie. And she said, what about the women in science? And they both said, women in science, rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> People obey, take a dim view of a woman in science. And she comes on and she's glowing because she's radioactive. <laughs> <laughs> and she says, nobody takes a dim view of me. <laughs> and this is a lovely opening for kids. I'm Marie Curie and I come from Poland, but I made my home in Paris where I married guest, my teacher. Really? Never. Yes. And with Pierre, I studied radiation and x-rays. We changed the world forever in all so many ways. So here's a girl as a student fell in love with their teacher and <laughs> married her. Now, how many schoolgirls of, of that has crossed their mind? That <laughs> uh, don't go any further than that. <laughs> but, but, but that's what, so I got, always got that into the show. So it, if you like, it was adult thoughts. It was adult and not, not kiddie, not childish. And, uh, oh, great times. And you're described as a popularizer of mathematics, which yeah. sounds like an impossible task for many children. Do you think you managed to achieve that? Absolutely. I did it, I, I did it for a long, long time. I don't do it so much now because people think you, when you're 84, they think you've fallen off the perch. <laughs> uh, no, I'm still going. Um, and I do a show, uh, Ones Beyond Numbers, which we tour. But since COVID, the theatre numbers right across the board are well down on where they were before COVID. So although the last time I did it, we had a good house, we had about 60% of the house, but I signed books for an hour and a half afterwards. Oh. People who just wanted to hear me the books. So I, I paused that show, hoping the audience will all build back. And I'll be pushing that show out later because that's that's my Wonders Beyond Numbers tour. And in I, in that, I show them how simple math is. So here's a, a trick. Give me two numbers between 100 and 110. Give me two. I'll multiply them quite quickly for you. 102 and 105. 10710. That's oh. the answer. <laughs> <laughs> so how does that work? If you're multiplying 100 by 100, you get 10,000. It's a one and four other digits. The two and the five will lead you to two more two-digit numbers. Add the two and the five, seven, but you've got to call it 07. Put that down. So you're one, oh, 07, and then two fives is 10, 10. Oh. 10710. Oh, oh, and you've done it. And that's Indian maths. And it's it's so simple. And there are so many simple ways of making maths fun. Yeah. Now, your daughter is quite famous as well as you. So what was he your is. reaction when Zoe initially told you that she wanted to be a bit like you and be a broadcaster as well. Oh, I, c I couldn't see it going any other way. <laughs> she once said to me, she was she was about 13, and she said, you know, I think I'd like to be an air hostess. Mm. And I was so cruel. Do you know what I said? <laughs> I said, oh, a waitress on, air, on an airplane. <laughs> and she went, oh, yeah. So that was out the window. <laughs> and, she always, and she used to come to the studio and see my programmes, especially when I was on the Saturday morning shows. And she would come in and, oh, there's no question that's where she wanted to go, you know. So so in sixth form, she chose a sixth form college instead of the school she was at. And she studied boys. <laughs> like, like teenagers do. Teenagers, when you know, from from sixteen to eighteen, uh, you study the opposite sex. Really, you know, you, 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 that's what you find all about. So it's very difficult for anybody to get any education into you when you're that age, and that's the way it is. But then, then you learn. So she said, "No, I want to go in." I had one phone number for her and from my agent, and it didn't work. But the person said, "Oh, and I told her this is the thing: if you want to get a job, there's two things to do. If you want to get a job, young people." 
right? The first one is, if you talk to anybody on the phone, stand up. Do not sit down when you're talking to people and you're trying to influence them. Stand up and move around. When I'm on the phone, I still walk around the room standing up and the energy is there. So that's the first thing. But the next thing for all young people is, and this sounds impossible, but believe me, it isn't. (laughs) How How do you get a good job? You start at the top. Andre Previn became an incredible musician. Luckily, lived in Los Angeles. Luckily, near the studios. Looked at the major composer in the day, the one he wanted to copy or emulate, found out which hotel he stayed in, went to the desk and said, is he in? They said, no, but he does stay here, and we think he's here next Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So he sat in the lobby until he saw this great composer passing, and he went up and says, can I talk to you? My name is Ronnie Prepin, and I want to be a film composer like you, and I'd like you to listen to some of my music. And he said, I haven't time now. And he saw Andrew Previn's face, and he said, I'm here next Tuesday. Could you make Tuesday? Yes, one o'clock, one o'clock. So he went there at one o'clock, went to the hotel room, and there's a piano, and the man is having a meeting with two other people. He said, go on, play your music. No more of that. And they carried on the meeting, and he started playing his music. When the people had gone, the guy turned to him and he said, you're not as good as you think you are. But you're going to be better. I can see it. And immediately he was he had a job in films. Start at the top. That's what you know. How did I get into this? Oh yes. So Zoe, I had a, a, a producer. A producer. He couldn't do it. He said no. But ITV are starting their summer children's Saturday morning. Ring this number. She rang. He said no, no. We've got all the crew from last year. But hang on. Um, B Sky B are opening up. They're doing Saturday and Sunday. They might. And she rang them as in. Incredible luck had it. The director was somebody I knew. Mm. He gave Zoe a chance and she was working in Granada and that's it. And she was away. But so, you know, Michaela Strachan, who does Winter Watch now, Winter Watch now, who is fabulous. I love Michaela. She's a great friend. Zoe was the runner for Michaela Strachan and couldn't have had a better presenter to learn from, from the start. And she was away. And then she did Big Breakfast. And then children's wanted her, and then big breakfast from the back, and she was away, and it was lovely. Notice, though, as soon as Zoe got away, <laughs> they retired me. <laughs> yeah. Because that's another thing, you see. When you, when you get to about 50 in, in television, you're on shaky ground. People go on much longer, but no, around 50, you're on shaky ground. And you'll notice Zoe d- d- doesn't do children's television anymore. She does radio and lots of other yeah. things. But, uh, but she said, oh, yeah, they froze me out when I was getting not even 50 much lower than that um, and but she did the radio she loves doing a radio and lots of other things so yeah. that's good she's got the biggest radio gig in the country maybe even the biggest it, gig it, in Europe it, 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 the biggest gig she's very honoured I wrote when she was 40 I wrote for Zoe, you're the tops, you're the Brighton, Brighton flower, because you lived in Brighton. You're the tops, Blackpool's second tower. Because in a five-inch heel, she's nearly as tall as Blackpool's tower when she was born. <laughs> well, up at the top of the tower, she was born. No, at, <laughs> in Blackpool. She was yeah. in the infirmary. <laughs> um, um, and uh, at the tops, you're the Brighton flower, you're the top, Blackpool's second tower. And just like me, it was on kids' tea, you in your career. First begun, you were the first ever girl to be given a world on breakfast radio one. Oh, what fun. <laughs> You're so you. You're a winning slogan on Radio 2. You're the best since World War I'm an aging turn who just won't learn where to stop. But hey, babe, I'm mediocre. You're the tops. And I wrote that for her 40th birthday. It's impressive. And there's four other verses. But I'm not- <laughs> <laughs> 
you and Zoe are going to be presenting my previous life in comedy on Tuesday the 7th of February at the Leicester Square Theatre. What can we expect from the show? I was writing this, and it, it, I should turn it into a book, and it probably will turn it into a book, but I was, I was including my life story, warts and all, and there are some warts, there are some terrible catastrophes that have befallen me. And we had a read-through the other day, and my wife was there, and Zoe was there, and they said, you're not doing that. <laughs> cut that out and cut that out. So we're all, all doing it. So we're flowing through as though my, my whole career was a blameless success all the <laughs> way through. But it's the people I met. It's the comedians I met. It's the, the people. I was in Glasgow when Billy, uh, the, the biggin, started. And wow. I think he started in a thing called At Last, The Welly Boot Show. And I didn't see it, but people told me to go. And frankly, because I was working myself, I didn't get to see it. But that's oh. when this, this, in, this incredible comedy machine, uh, Billy Connolly, started. And, and it's just... And it's, in a way, I'm like like Billy in that I just want to tell it as it is, yeah. you know. But Billy is the master of getting laughs out of telling it as it is. <laughs> Doesn't matter how rude it gets, yeah. <laughs> because the way he does it, it's not rude. It's yeah. you go with him, you go with him, and that's the art. So I'll probably be doing a, something a shadow of Billy. Or you see, the reason we're at the Leicester Square Theatre is a 400, 500 seater. The O2 was booked. <laughs> <laughs> Because Peter Kay's there. Now, Peter Kay comes from Bolton, and I come from Bolton. And if you look at Peter Kay's bill matter, it's Peter Kay, one of Bolton's finest comedians. <laughs> yeah, I one of. <laughs> referring to me as the other one. I don't know. <laughs> but no, but no, he, what another wonderful, wonderful comic. You know, I was never anywhere near as strong as they were. But on my night, I was. And a comedian knows what I'm saying here. When you have an audience and you roll with them and they roll with you, you could be the greatest comedian in the world just for that hour, yeah. just for that hour. It is so wonderful. And so I'm hoping we'll get a good few laughs um, and and definitely no warts, no nasty things. <laughs> yes. um, and Zoe, Zoe might be in for all kinds of uh, problems because if I'm let loose, you never know what I'll get her into. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see. And what else is coming up for you after this? I want to do the Wonders Beyond Number show again. Do the do the tour again, and uh, and I want to write a book. I've written sixty. I've written um, about sixty poems explaining the history of mathematics in rhyme, and nobody will publish it. And I, they're all crazy. And 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 uh, but at the moment, I haven't got to publish it. But it's okay because I'm writing the second one <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, and I'm writing oh about. Everybody, Einstein, Newton, Isaac Newton, all kinds of people like that, and and it's stuff that I've written in the past, and uh, and I'm putting it all together, and I think it's it's lovely in a tour de force. So I so I leak some poems here and there, send them to magazines and to people, and they love them. So yeah, and I think I've got to do an autobiography. Mm. Um, I think I've got to do it, uh, and this show will possibly be been in that. Now, whether this show would go any further, the show I'm doing with Zoe, it wouldn't go with Zoe because Zoe will only do the one. We definitely... Because, but on the 31st, at a luncheon, of which nobody else invited except members, 
I'm doing a solo version of the show. And if that goes well, I might try to launch it as a solo version in theatres and just see how it goes. See, at my age, I don't need full houses. I don't need the money, really, to to, to do it. I just do everything for love now. No, I do charge a fee. But I do everything, <laughs> I do everything for love. And and, and so I'm, as, as long as I'm working, I'm very, very happy. So that's yeah. a little... <laughs> so where are we able to keep up to date with you and find your books and everything? I am terrible. I am... I'm on Facebook. I've lost my password. Oh, I, no. <laughs> I can't get in. I can't reply to other people. And I don't I don't care because I can't be doing with tickle tackling all the time. <laughs> I can't be doing it. But if I've got something important to say, I want to find the person and say it to the person. And I do that, you know. Um and but I I, I really can't do what you I have a mobile phone and I only use it when I'm in the car to say, die, I'll be on I'm on the way home be home in half of that and that's yeah. all I use it for and I'm, I'm on my computer every day but I, I can't be doing with having so many friends and so many contacts and the people you don't know and suddenly they're sending pictures of, you, of their shenanigans <laughs> and you've met them no it's too much it's too much I, I can't do it but you do have a website don't you I have a website www.johnnyball.co.uk and get get onto that it's never up to date but there's some people <laughs> but get onto that and by all means and when you get onto that on every page there's my email address right and it's jballpros.aol.com. But it's everywhere. And if you email me, if you email me, my phone numbers, my address are all on the email. So anywhere can get in touch with me, you know. So it isn't difficult to get hold of me. Um, yeah. But but I, I I can't be doing with, with all the stuff today. I really can't keep up with it. <laughs> well, many thanks for talking to us today and good luck with the show. Great pleasure. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com The Throbbing Post of Sound The Toby Gribben Show 